Oh, well, good morning. Very good morning. Uh, my name's LT, and I'm just going to ha- help us uh, reflect on the resurrection for a few minutes. I have a friend whose name is Stephen, and uh, a few years ago, his brother David was was dying in hospital of cancer. Uh, his body uh, was in the grip of cancer, and so Stephen went to visit his brother David in hospital, and there he was lying essentially on his deathbed. And so they spent some time together and their conversation finished with David saying to his brother Stephen, Stephen, I won't see you again on this earth, but I will see you in glory. And it's a remarkable thing to say, isn't it? It's a a remarkable statement of hope. I won't see you on this earth again, but I will see you in glory. How can someone have such confidence, such hope, when clearly they are so weak, they're out of control, there's nothing they can do about their situation because they're on death's door? Growing up in the Salvation Army, we had a a saying that we used to say when someone had died to express what had happened. And the saying was that they were promoted to glory. And it's an odd thing to say, really, isn't it? When someone's died, their life has ended, that somehow we're saying there's hope and they're promoted to glory. They've gone to heaven. As we stand here today, what's got us out of bed? It's because of the resurrection. It's because the resurrection is real and it's relevant so that someone can say on their deathbed with confidence they will see their brother again, the other side of death. And so I want to spend some moments reflecting on the fact that the resurrection is real and that it's relevant. Firstly, that it's real. It assumes that there was a real death, doesn't it? If this is a real resurrection, there must have been a real death. And so be assured that Jesus really was dead. Some might say that he was unconscious and then came to again days later. But what you have in the accounts of the Gospels is people who were there witnessing, who were experts in seeing people die. Soldiers who were there, who might have seen hundreds if not thousands of crucifixions, and they knew when someone was dead. Their job depended upon it. And so the the soldiers, as it's recorded, said Jesus was dead. There's other things that are around the events of Jesus' death that point clearly to the fact that he would have been dead. Uh, The beatings he went through, the fact that he was hanging on the cross, the fact that he was put in a tomb, probably with little air, with days without food and water, that a spear was stabbed into his side. Be assured, this was a real death. But it was also a real resurrection. And again, The accounts we have of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus clearly point to the fact that what we have in Jesus is not laid down proof but evidence that stacks up that this man was dead and came to life again. The accounts that we have of Jesus' life are written, recorded, passed around within two generations of Jesus' life. In fact, some within 20, some one small piece, probably within months of his death. 
we also have women recorded as the first eyewitnesses. In those days, uh, women's testimony wasn't valid, particularly valid in court. So why would it be that you would record women as the first eyewitnesses? That's not something you would put in if you're making the story up. The only explanation is that the women were the first eyewitnesses. And of course we have the, the apostles who went to the grave proclaiming and declaring that Jesus had risen from the dead. They knew whether it was true or not and had every opportunity to deny it. But they were willing to die for the fact that this was true, that they'd seen the risen Jesus. And of course, lastly, we have the empty tomb, a fact of history that's never been debated. We know the name of the man, Joseph, whose tomb it was. The apostles, as they start speaking about the resurrection, never spend any time trying to give evidence for the resurrection. It was an assumed fact. This was a real resurrection. I'm not sure what you're up to as you think about the evidence for the resurrection. You could be sceptical, you could even be cynical. Uh, people back then were gullible. But you would notice in the accounts of the resurrection that even Jesus' disciples, or particularly Jesus' disciples, who he told over and over again that he would die and rise again, were stunned and shocked when he did die, as well as being stunned and shocked when he appear to them. This is not something where people were gullible and necessarily saw these things happen all the time. The only explanation is, is that we had a real resurrection that gives us real hope. And so if it's a real resurrection, all of what we believe as Christians, all of what we take to be true in God's word depends on this and is relevant to us. We heard the reading where Paul's saying over and over again, if this is not true, we're to be pitied, we're not forgiven, we have no hope. So the resurrection is relevant firstly because it means we have forgiveness. When a criminal serves his time, he pays his sentence for the crime that he does. He's set free. And so the law has no hold over him again. Jesus, dying on the cross, paid the penalty that we deserved. The punishment we deserved, the judgment was infinite. And so in his death, he paid that in full. When he, when he rose again and came out of that tomb, set free because the penalty had been paid in full. And so what the resurrection does is declare loud and clear that our sins have been paid for in full, paid in full. As well as that, what we have is Jesus rising from the dead and now living and ruling as king. We have someone who is in control of all things. And quite clearly in life, it doesn't always look like that to be true. But be assured it is. Jesus is king, ruling and reigning, determining what happens at every moment of life. And as king, he promises to return. In 1 Corinthians, it talks about Jesus being the first fruits. When I grew up, 
I was growing up, my grandmother had an apricot orchard at the back of her house. And we used to spend summer holidays with those grandparents. And when we'd turn up to the holiday place where we'd have a holiday together, my grandparents always gave me fresh apricots, which I loved. But what I loved more was what came, and that was a promise of what was to come. And because fresh apricots, for me, was the promise and first fruits of the apricot jam my grandma made. And I love that even more than the fresh apricots. But the fresh apricots were the promise. They were the first fruits of what I really look forward to. And so is Jesus. It says he is the first fruits. It's the promise of what we can look forward to. That just as he was raised, so too we will be raised if we put our trust in Jesus. Jesus will return. He is king. He promised he would die. He promised he would rise again. He promised he would come again. And he would restore all things to the way they're meant to be. Restore things to the way they're meant to be. And he gave glimpses of that, signs of that, over and over again when he lived and he performed miracles. Healing broken bodies. Restoring relationships. Rising people from the dead. He will come and bring about the new creation. I think sometimes it's so easy for us. I mean, standing here, you couldn't get a better place in the world to be right now. Take a moment. Take it in. The sun will rise. We're under the best bridge, in the best harbour, in the best city. From all appearances, what do we need Jesus to come back and do for us? As I think of my, my, my life, you might think, yes, kind of dressed okay, look like my life's together. From all appearances, it would seem at some points my life couldn't be better than it is. But just as we look at the outside here and think everything's good and it couldn't be better than it is, so it is with me inside my body is a disease that's eating it away, rheumatoid arthritis. And so from all appearances, it seems like I am fit and healthy and well, but I know and I am constantly reminded that that's not true. I have a disease that's eating me away. And it's a reminder that things aren't the way they're meant to be. You know, Jesus, to one of his disciples that doubted, showed him his scars. The very scars that the disciples thought had ruined everything but it was actually the horror of the scars that brought the hope of the resurrection, wasn't it? Those scars that they thought ruined the plans that they had for Jesus were actually the reminder that, no, those scars brought about the hope that they could have in him. Although it may not look like it, all of us carry scars. Scars of physical wounds, sickness, disease. We carry scars of relational pain. Relationships that are non-existent. Relationships that are dysfunctional. Marriages that are broken. We carry scars of, of mental realities where we feel life is not worth living. 
when we're at our lowest, where we're anxious. We carry scars of injustice, which we see outside of ourselves across the world, but sometimes we experience ourselves. And all those scars are reminders that things aren't the way they're meant to be. And so the resurrection is relevant because it says to us in Jesus, he will return and he'll bring about what he hoped to bring about, full restoration and new creation. Be assured, what we have in the resurrection of Jesus is a real resurrection that is relevant, that gives us hope, not just pie in the sky when we die, but present reality and hope now. Jesus said when he rose Lazarus from the dead, he said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? So I ask you this morning, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And if you do, Paul says, be steadfast. Be immovable. Don't let the scars shake you. Don't let the scars cripple you. Don't let the scars have no hope. But stand firm in Jesus and his resurrection. Christ is risen. Jesus' death and life for us is not just um, it's not just real, historical. It's actually relevant for us.